European Heart Journal Case Reports 2020 podcast. I am Tom Slater, podcast editor. Today, I will be discussing case reports by Andrea Cacatera, Stefan Mook, Harho Muller, and Arian Testus from Geneva University Hospitals, Switzerland, entitled Normalization of Left Ventricular Filling Pressure After Cardiac Surgery for Luffer's Endocarditis, a case report. Luffler's endocarditis is a rare restrictive cardiomyopathy, characterised by hypereosinophilia and fibrous thickening of the endocardium, causing progressive onset of heart failure and appearance of thrombi on the walls of the heart chambers. A 72-year-old man with a background of hypertension and hyperlipidemia presented with a three-week history of progressive dyspnea. On examination, the patient was normotensive, had a normal respiratory rate, and the ECG showed sinus rhythm with no disturbance in conduction or repolarization. Blood panels demonstrated a hypereosinophilia with an otherwise normal full blood count, mildly raised inflammatory markers, and an NT pro BNP of 600 nanograms per liter. Echocardiography showed normal left ventricular function with a small echo dense lesion fixed to the left apex, measuring 20 millimeters by 13 millimeters and mild aortic regurgitation. After exclusion of secondary causes for hypereosinophilia, a diagnosis of endomyocardial fibrosis in the context of a hyper-eosinophilic syndrome was made. Following contemporary consensus of 2012, the combination of hyper-eosinophilia and the patient's clinical presentation with cardiac involvement led to treatment with corticosteroids and a direct oral anticoagulant. The patient was followed up at six-month intervals with echocardiographic and cardiac MRI monitoring and had an initially stable course without complications. Two years after diagnosis, he developed progressive exertional dyspnea, reaching NYHA class 3, with concomitant peripheral edema. The ECG demonstrated sinus rhythm with the appearance of a QS complex from V1 to V3, and NT pro BNP rose to 2,000 nanograms per litre. Echocardiography again showed preserved left ventricular ejection fraction, but with a dilated left ventricular cavity, and a decrease in left ventricular volume due to a marked increase in the size of the apical echo-dense fixed mass. A restrictive filling pattern was evident, with moderate aortic regurgitation also seen. In view of this rapid evolution reflecting an unsatisfactory response to corticosteroids, and after a heart team meeting and consensus, resection of the left ventricular mass with concomitant bioprosthetic aortic valve replacement was performed. Upon inspection of the left ventricular cavity, the surgeons found a fibrotic mass, well bonded to the endocardium, which they were able to remove. Histopathology confirmed eosinophilic infiltration, with chronic inflammation of the myocardial wall and in the aortic valve tissue. Six days later, the patient's dyspnea had improved to NYHA class 2, so the patient was moved to cardiac rehabilitation before returning home in excellent condition. During the one-year clinical follow-up, the patient has continued to improve under a maintaining dose of prednisolone and anticoagulation. He is in good overall condition, without increase in dyspnea, and with an improvement of functional capacity. Recent echocardiography suggests a significant fall in LV filling pressure, with no evidence of recurrence of the left ventricular mass. I would now like to discuss the content of this case in more detail. Hypereosinophilic syndrome is a rare pathology that is defined as a persistently elevated absolute eosinophil count in the peripheral blood with eosinophil-mediated organ damage. There are three main categories, primary or neoplastic, secondary or reactive, and idiopathic. Prevalence and overall incidence have not been well defined. 
In the USA, the age-adjusted incidence rate is estimated at approximately 0.035 per 100,000 person years. Patients with hyperiosinophilia of undetermined significance, with no symptoms or evidence of target organ damage, require no specific treatment. For newly diagnosed symptomatic patients with HES and evidence of vital organ involvement, early initiation of therapy is crucial. High-dose systemic glucocorticoids are normally the first-line agent for treatment of most patients who present with life-threatening or potentially disabling manifestations. Hydroxyurea is the most commonly used second-line agent for treating HES, and interferon has recently been considered as well as an additional agent. Immunomodulatory and cytotoxic agents, like methotrexate or cyclosporin, and agents that target eosinophils, such as tyrosine kinase inhibitors and monoclonal antibodies, have been used as maintenance therapy, but reports on their administration are scarce. Once clinical and biological remission has been achieved, treatment must be tapered so that disease control is maintained using the lowest dose possible. Sometimes, surgical treatment may be the only option. Patients with hyperosinophilic syndrome due to a secondary cause will also require treatment of the underlying cause. Cardiac involvement can be present in up to 50% of HES cases and was first described in 1936 by Wilhelm Loeffler. Endomyocardial fibrosis and eosinophilic myocarditis, also known as Loeffler's endocarditis, are major causes of morbidity and mortality among patients with HES. Cardiac injury is variable and does not clearly correlate with a degree of peripheral eosinophilia. Heart tissue damage evolves through three stages, necrotic, intermediate and fibrotic. Thrombotic risk is important during the intermediate phase, which is characterised by thrombus formation along damaged myocardium, eventually causing distant embolization. Systemic anticoagulation is however not usually started empirically in the absence of a thrombotic event. Finally, the fibrotic stage induces restrictive cardiomyopathy and or valve regurgitation, predominantly of the atrioventricular valves, eventually leading to heart failure. Echocardiography plays a crucial role in the evaluation of cardiac involvement in HES, even if its capacity to evaluate severity of endomyocardial fibrosis has never clearly been systematically assessed due to a lack of standardised classification. Echocardiography may be normal during the first stage of the disease. In the intermediate stage, thrombi can be seen within the apices as fixed masses embedding the left or right ventricle, with texture and margins distinct from the endocardium. The diagnosis of endomyocardial fibrosis requires myocardial wall thickening and signs of restrictive filling when assessing diastolic function. Valve regurgitation is another possible complication due to entrapment of the chordae tendinae and or leaflets during the fibrotic stage of the disease. Valvular abnormalities with or without resulting endomyocardial fibrosis can cause congestive heart failure. This case illustrates well how echocardiography can be used for follow-up and to guide therapy of this often unpredictable disease. Cardiac magnetic resonance imaging is another important diagnostic tool for assessing cardiac involvement and is the gold standard for non-invasive monitoring of disease progression and assessing prognosis. MRI allows for tissue characterization and can identify thrombi with a higher degree of sensitivity and specificity than echocardiography. Contrast enhanced cardiac MRI can also detect inflammation and fibrosis. Despite steadily improving non-invasive diagnostic imaging methods, endomyocardial biopsy is still described as the gold standard for the diagnosis of endomyocardial fibrosis, although it was not required for diagnosis or treatment in this case. The prognosis of HES is generally poor, although new treatments may improve survival time. In recently reported cohorts, the median survival was 30 to 48 months. Cardiac involvement, male sex, 
age over 60 and the haemoglobin under 10 grams per deciliter are associated with inferior overall survival. Early detection and treatment of the disease is therefore essential. I would like to conclude this podcast with the following learning points suggested by the authors. Endomyocardial fibrosis is a rare cause of restrictive cardiomyopathy. Main echocardiographic signs are elevated filling pressures, progressive endomyocardial thickening, bowel regurgitation, and possible intracardiac thrombus formation. And finally, regular follow-up is important, and surgery can normalise filling pressures and allow a clear improvement on the clinical condition. Thank you to the authors of this case report for highlighting this extremely interesting case for us. And thank you for listening to European Heart Journal Case Reports podcasts. References and the original case report are available online. Visit academic.oup.com forward slash EHJCR for other interesting case reports. Music is Computer by State Shirt.